and welcome to everyone listening. It's Ivy here with Daria, and together we are the Not-So-Giant Women. Hello. <laughs> we are about to take a trip today for Story for Stephen. I love stories. Who might be telling it? <laughs> yeah, this is uh, another way to peep into the past, maybe? Just if someone tells him a story of past jam activity or... Ooh, I'd be down. Yeah, oh, well, let's find out. <laughs> All right. We are the Crystal Gems. We'll always save the day. Easy for me to stay. I'm glad you did. Yeah, me too. That was a story for Stephen. <laughs> I'm, I'm much shorter how I met your mother. <laughs> Taking shelter from the rain, Stephen and Greg are hanging out in Greg's van when Stephen finds a photograph of Greg, a much younger Greg, and someone Greg says is Marty. Who is dead to him? Dead to him, Marty is in fact Greg's old manager and uh. is part of the story of how Greg met Rose. And Greg is like, oh, I thought I told you this story. Not the version of Marty. Well, here we go. How I Met Your Mother, the Marty version. <laughs> Flashback to nebulous couple of decades or so ago. And Greg is playing quite the concert as Mr. Universe. A lot of space-themed rock going on. And when we snap back to reality from the musical images it is him on a stage on the beach in front of a bunch of empty chairs but for rose quartz rose quartz in a flashback in the flesh she is solitarily well she has to solitarily because she's the only other person there she is clapping for him she was impressed by his music even if no one else was there to be so she misunderstands some of his space references as being literal but he has taken enough with her and her compliments to give her a free CD and T-shirt. He realized the T-shirt he has at his merch table is too small. So he popped back to the van to get her an extra, extra large. And it turns out that Marty has been entertaining a guest called Vidalia in the back of the van. There is some arguing back and forth. Marty, here's Greg's vampiric looking manager. He's not very nice to him. Obviously, Greg, why he's decided to parasite off this hardly getting a listener, let alone a crowd musician for his meal ticket wheel. Never know, but that is what Marty is doing. He is getting a 75% cut of whatever Greg does, which as Greg is giving stuff away is currently 75% of nothing, i.e. nothing. When the huge woman, Rose, has disappeared before Greg can give her the t-shirt, he doesn't quite follow her as work out where she went, which is down to the beach. We get a bit of a traipse through past era beach city. And at this point, the beach is actually fenced off with keep off the beach, please, on a sign. <laughs> and Greg briefly talks to a purple owl who talks back because the purple owl, as we can tell from its purpleness and the crystal on its chest, is amethyst. Flies away. Greg chases after her. We don't know if, if he thinks he's having a drug trip or if he's actually a straight edge <laughs> stereotype. We don't know that one yet. But Purple Owl, worth chasing. Chases back to a cave at the back of which is what we recognize as the temple door. And we can, in fact, see the massive temple arms in some shots. We meet this era's versions of the gems. Amethyst is thinking it's all hilarious, so only so much change there. Pearl is 
already a bit grossed out by humans. <laughs> and when Rose appears, Pearl is a bit, you know this human, you know who this one is. And they try to get him to play for them, which he almost does, except he realizes he has to be at an, another concert. Garnet also threatens him in case the music isn't any good. <laughs> he runs back in his van to get driven to Empire City by Marty. And he's wistfully still remembering the giant woman, hoping that they all meet again. And Marty is saying, this is your problem. You want to have one big woman, you can have several smaller ones. <laughs> oh, classic Marty. <laughs> After some more casual abuse, Craig gets sick of Marty saying, why does he make all the decisions? And kicks him out of the van right next to the Beach City See You Soon sign. So already there back in whenever. And drives back to town to find an enormous woman, Rose. Rose Rose is very, at first, I'm sorry, we can't be together. I like you, but you only have a short life and I don't want you to give up on everything you've dreamed of and he says everything he's dreamed of is her and she's taken by that and we snap back to the present and Stephen's all oh you loved her and the universes tease each other be it quite adorably and Greg puts the photo of him and Marty up next to his other beloved photos and reflects that for all Marty's troubles he made it easy for him to stay in Beach City where he of course met Rose, had a son, built a life. And that's this episode. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, quite a good one. Definitely probably part of a story we've been quasi expecting for some time. Yeah. I don't know if I solidly expected a flashback episode, but when right. I realised that's what we had, I thought, yeah, this has been coming for a while. Right. You kind of implied in our intro that maybe he would give give some background. Somebody would give some background, but it's more Greg's origins than Gem stuff, but it includes Gem stuff. Yeah, it's um, probably the most of, well, I think probably it's the most of Rose we've ever seen and certainly the most we've ever seen not filtered through something else. Yeah, it's pretty much a straightforward, honest-to-goodness flashback, even though ostensibly it's Greg telling it to Stephen. So we actually get to see what is supposed to be an actual representation of what they looked like and what they said and did. Yeah, we don't get any hints that he's doing any unreliable narrator stuff. So Right. And even so, most of the time we've seen Rose before, even depicted it's been as a shapeshift or a projection or on a screen. And yeah. in the flashback, she is there in the flesh. <laughs> if what mm-hmm. gems bodies are made of can be called flesh. Yes, for lack of a better word, I guess, in person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's really cool to see her and to see young Greg. Yeah, and we also see some glimpse of past era Beach City and what the gems were like yes. shortly before we met them. Everyone's got an earlier version of their outfit. Yeah, which is charming, even though we know it means they must have died to change their look. Yeah. So creepy. Like, oh, cool new outfits. When did you die? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Garnet looks downright casual com- compared to some of yeah. the modern day things. Whereas Pearl looks like a dance mom. Yeah, Pearl. Pearl. Uh, there's a, that dance scene that often p- pops up in Pearl's outfit. And Amethyst has yeah. cute short hair. Yeah, she kind of has a toddler vibe almost. I mean, she's the same size, but she looks like she's dressed like a small child, which is weird. And a lot of people thought it was like, why does she look younger if she's supposed to be thousands of years old? And I just think, well, they can look like anything. So 
you know. Hackney's got that. That's how she's looking at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Kind of the way that she held on to Rose's dress was like very small childy. So maybe that's just what their dynamic is. We've never seen their dynamic until now. Yeah, and of course she hasn't spent any time raising a ch- raising a child yet, which might have an effect on her attitude. Sure. Yeah. It is pre Stephen and pre everything. It's neat to see like the entrance of the cave with no house. There's some differences to Beach City. Like, I think the Big Donut wasn't there, but some of the older businesses, like Fish Stew Pizza, was yes. there. Spotted Fish Stew Pizza and the sign to elect Mayor Buck Dewey. Yeah, which I believe, I don't know where they got the information, but somewhere in there, in the lore of this, it's supposedly that is Mayor Dewey's father was named Buck and who our buck is named for. So I guess it's a family thing. <laughs> that that makes sense. So I was tossing up between he's the granddad or or Buck is a or Buck is a nickname that the dad once had, but either work. I think they have a money theme because um, oh, yeah, Bill. Mayor Dewey is Bill mm-hmm. and then there's Buck. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> yeah I, I got that sort of Hill Valley vibe that same family's gonna stay in the same business for generations. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, young Greg has definitely a Stephen vibe to his face when he doesn't have the beard yet. He looks very much like Stephen. Oh, yeah. He is definitely halfway between Stephen and his modern day self. It's really good character model. Yeah. I like how he did that. And you definitely get this Stephen-y vibe to him. And he's he's like body type wise kind of similar to Stephen. But you never, and, get, uh, you never get the feeling that it's not Greg either. Right. They did such a great job with that. And I mean, especially since the voice was the same and everything, you have no doubt you still feel like, oh, this is Greg. But it's amazing how much difference hair in one place on your face versus no hair on top of your head, like how that changes your overall look. Mm. (laughs) It's still very much him. And he had the long hair and rock star vibe. He had some piercings and stuff. He doesn't have those today. Yeah, I noticed those. It's interesting. A little tattered sleeves that he had. Whereas I thought it was interesting that Rose, like we know what she looks like and we don't really know how gem heredity works, but the star eyes she had at the end and the little goofy giggle that she had was very Steven. So you're like, well, (laughs) you see elements of Steven in both of them. (sighs) Yeah, definitely. And Marty was, well, Marty had pointed teeth and a pale complexion that would put Onion's family to shame. Yeah. It's, uh, it's hard to tell, like you've said with some other stuff with cartoony cues, it's hard to tell, like, is this actually a person with alligator teeth or is this their cue that he is a villain? So Yeah, well, he left us in little doubt of that. So yeah. good on Greg for booting out that guy. Yeah. You see a lot of, like, demanding and unreasonable money-grubbing managers and agents and stuff in TV. I've always wondered kind of where that comes from because, like, usually they're the talent's employee, technically. Like, they work for you. They work for the performer and or the artist. And I guess there's sometimes a dynamic where they know more than their client about the business aspect. But I don't know, like, in reality, usually if you have a manager who's being a huge jerk to you, you just could go to somebody else. So Yeah, I mean, I could see that the creators who are generally themselves writers and artists and what have you rather than managers themselves might be having a bit of a stupid manager taking 10% and not 9 
<laughs> yeah. But it's just weird. Because, you know, you do see, like, in TV, you see the, somebody, like, an actor or something will have this demanding, mean agent who's, like, making them do stuff. And I'm just thinking, you know, I, um, I'm a writer. And I have a literary agent. My dynamic with, I've had two literary agents, never been anything like that. They don't tell me what to do. Like, they can recommend stuff, but they don't order me around or anything. We're both very polite to each other. And they take 15%, not 75 <laughs> But this is in writing, in author stuff. <laughs> yeah, I guess just maybe it's just a type that resonates. And I mean, we have heard yeah. tales of people like Colonel Tom Parker, who is you, who, well, obviously, I don't always like in real life, but is usually presented in most accounts as being like that for Elvis. So maybe this is a type of story that resonates with people. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, in this yeah, particular I scenario, I could easily see that. Marty had been horrible enough to sort of convince convince Greg, who is his own kind of naive at this point, that yeah. this actually is a good deal he's getting. Yeah, about my seventy five percent. Though, and in fact, that might be what I wondered earlier. Why is this parasitic Marty going after someone who's just really not making a lot of money at all? Excuse me, who's really yeah. not making a lot of money at all? It could be because every artist who's successful enough knows better than to work with a manager like him yeah either that or there is something to his business knowledge that he thinks this kid has something that he can sell and maybe he just thinks the space gimmick is gonna make it who knows yeah i mean even though as ever there's no real calendar to things you and other than the presence of CDs and things, you get this sort of late 70s, early 80s vibe about the kind of thing they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Van had a tape deck in it that didn't work, which we know in modern times he has a CD player in there now. Yeah. <laughs> and Greg's always struck me as the sort of guy, even though it makes no sense in terms of actual in-story chronology, he comes across as the sort of guy whose heyday was the 60s, which it can't have been on any logical calendar, but he just has that vibe about him. So squeezing the chronology back and forth just to include the parts they like is fine by me. Yeah, maybe it's the van art. Mm -hmm. It's very psychedelic 60s. Yeah, and to me it's just his general vibe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they don't solidly explain what decade we're in at this point, but it's pre-Steven, and they don't tell us how old Steven is. So whatever it is, Greg had hair. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he doesn't say, oh, it was the summer of 1995 or anything like that. Right, right. He does not. They aren't very forthcoming with even mentioning years most of the time. There was a mention of a year in one of Steven's video games, but it didn't really give any context for what the modern time was supposed to be based on it. Yeah, and like I said, it's obviously not completely in sync with our history. They've got cities and states and TV shows and all sorts of things we don't have. So just kind of doing what they need to get the atmosphere they want, that works for me. Oh, yeah. You have no way of knowing what would be different on a version of Earth where gems invaded thousands of years ago. (laughs) And even though the beach is fenced off, you can still see the huge temple statue just by standing near it. So the weirdness of Beach City has started to seep in. Mm -hmm. 
And one of the gems says they haven't seen this human here before. So in the case, yeah. they've at least on some level mixed it up with, well, at least one other one. Yeah, it seems like surely Amethyst would be the one doing that too. She's transforming into an owl and going out there and then just checking out what's going on with the humans. And Probably eating entire trash cans and not just the bits. And Rose is doing it as part of her general fascination with and love of all things. Yeah. What did you think of seeing her, like, her demeanor while she's not, like, talking to a camera for her son? It seemed a little playful, didn't it? Yeah, it's a lot of things like, you know, oh, I like you, you're cute, sort of. Yeah. And she, it could just be because I'm not used to her voice, but she sounded a bit more like an everyday person than the others did. Oh. Not quite as filtered through cartoonish personalities of well of what well the other three really not hugely so they didn't sound ridiculous compared to her sounding completely straight or anything just a a bit of that and it could also be i'm just not used to her speaking and properly interacting with people yeah it's definitely an interesting vibe because the people interacting with her in this episode, specifically the gems, all have like an existing familiarity with among each other. They know who each other are and they're interacting kind of as a unit and know what to expect from each other. But we're all looking at them like, oh my gosh, we've been waiting to see her as part of this group because they were a force for so long. You know, like we want to know how this works. And it's just so novel to see her just hanging out with them cool <laughs> and well obviously this was at least partly practically because we're mostly seeing through greg a, a lot of the camera angles do do make a look a bit larger than life by filming her from below some mm -hmm. of the time this is obviously just from where greg's head would be mm -hmm. yeah and they did manage to convey the sort of that her, that the aforementioned love of all things is a, ge a genuine emotion she had is not part of the re-remembering of the deity that is Rose. This is definitely something about how she really was that came mm. across in the perf performance and in the writing. Yeah. And she seemed to be genuinely appreciating and encouraging Greg. She didn't mm -hmm. sound like she was, you know, just being polite about it or anything. Yeah, she was like entranced by what was happening and very drawn in and unselfconsciously engaging with it. Yeah, whereas Garner was basically, if the music's not great, I'm going to hit you with my enormous mallet hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whereas Amethyst is like, oh, play something, music man. And Pearl has already expressed. She's like, I can sing. Which like, what do you need him for? I'm here. I can sing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny, partly because, yes, we know she can, but also just from her fellow's reaction to it afterwards. Right. They're all just kind of giggling over it, and she's blushing like, what? <laughs> Statement of fact. Even Garnet's cracked up. Yeah, she did. It's interesting to see that. And also, like, speaking of Garnet, that when she's picking up Greg, like, she's going to go throw him over the fence, and he's protesting, and then Rose comes in and stops them. 
she drops Greg and she's kind of blushing and acting like, oh crap, I got caught. Like, it's really interesting because she's usually the, you know, she's like the leader and stuff, but she defers to Rose. Rose saw her do something and like she has a blush on her face. And I'm like, the first time I saw that, I had to go back and say, is that a blush on her face? But she's blushing because of like, there's there's an emotion on her face. (laughs) It's very weird. Well, it seems that while in the present, Garnet is sort of the de facto leader, Rose was the actual leader in the, while she was still around. Yeah. And she didn't yell at them or anything. They just didn't. Well, she probably has that, she probably has that air that she doesn't need to yell at them. They just don't want to displease her. They don't want to disappoint her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Only the, when Garnet came in and she was surprised to see that they were with, they were with a human. She just goes right up to him and goes, state your purpose, which one of those examples of her asking a question without asking a question. It's kind of (laughs) cool. I love that. She just shoves her big old head right in his face. State your purpose. (laughs) And Pearl has still not quite got round to the humans are people point of view yet from the looks of things. Yeah, she's... It's weird because there can't be an appreciable amount of time between when she met Greg and when Steven came into the world, but she's still kind of acting like humans are such a complete mystery to her, like that she didn't even know what time was when he was like, what time is it? She's like, hey, time? Like she doesn't know what time is. I'm sure she knows what time is. (laughs) Weird. (laughs) Yeah, Ken buys that raising Steven gave them more interaction with human affairs. Yeah. Even if only to a limited degree, but you've got that. If they've been here, well, if they've been here 5,000 years, you think Pearl at least would pick up on the concept of telling the time. Mm, especially if she's picked up on leg warmers. Yeah, no, I noticed that. Oh, also, surely gems have to have some way of measuring time. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like they do. And plus Pearl is very punctual. Like she's very caught up in systems and measurements. It doesn't seem they could have their wars and military actions and all the rest of it. It was just based on when you get round to it. Yeah, definitely not. Of course, this also could be Pearl just basically saying weird things to make the human go away. Right. Or not understanding what kind of format Greg is going to want that answer in. And she's just like, nighttime? (laughs) Like that. But she didn't seem actively hostile toward Greg until she seemed like kind of frustrated at his existence when it was clear that Rose had some kind of affection for him or positive feelings toward him. It was a bit like, it's a bit like, oh, has Rose found another stray? Right. You know this human? Mm, I can sing. (laughs) Salty old pearl. We're going to have to feed and water this one. Right. Yeah. I very much doubt this is the first pet human that Rose has had. <laughs> yeah, so the hmm. pearl might have been a bit of a, he's not just passing, he's going to be one of those. He's going yeah. to be one of those not me's that Rose pays attention to. Yeah. Hmm. What else is interesting about their past outfits is none of them had stars. Oh, no. Yeah, the star motif usually so omnipresent was absent except for Mr. Universe. Yeah, Rose and Greg had it, but 
and Garnet technically had it on her gauntlet, but she didn't have it on her outfit. Oh, yeah. I keep forgetting the stars on the gauntlet, which is weird because I love the gauntlet so much. But oh. Chunky. I like them. Yeah, Garnet had, like, black pants or something, I think. Like, these high-waisted pants. Yeah. And, and then, like, a shirt with a squiggle on it or something. Yeah, and for, by her standards, a fairly low-cut shirt. Uh-huh. Right. Scoop neck thing. Yeah. And this was dressed like a toddler, and she didn't have little stars on her knees. And Pearl just had her little leg warmers and her dance mom outfit. Her hair would seem longer. Like, it was not sticking up in the back. It was more down. Yeah, it was kind of it was kind of fluffy. It was not mm-hmm. so styled. Well, if she was yeah. a regular person, I'd wonder if she just just got out of bed or something. That kind of hair. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah, Amethyst's hair was a big difference. Maybe they all take on the star motif in memoriam after Rose That's gives up theory. her physical form. Yeah, that was kind of my theory, is that they would do that. It's interesting that Greg seemed to have that star motif himself, as well as Rose having it on her dress, around her jet. I wonder if also that could be a bit of either in-story or out, maybe just some shorthand of, this is how these two are meant for each other. They already both like stars. Yeah, it's it's written in the stars for them to be together. It's 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 like in it's a bit like in some well like in a rom com where people first make contact because they're both reading the same book or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. And of course, he's got a space gimmick, and she's like, "Oh, he's singing about space. This is so cute. I love that part where she's like, his gimmick is space." And Pearl just goes, <laughs> "Like, <laughs> she's so sort of offended and baffled by it." And probably also a bit of a, "Oh, if he only knew." Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I, I, also, I also like that because at first it looked like Rose was entirely taking the lyrics of the song literally, mm-hmm. but later she obviously under, understands or has quickly come to understand that they're just song lyrics. They're just a thing. Right. She knows what it. She knows what a gimmick is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, space train to the cosmos. How will you get back? <laughs> Like, I'm never coming back. She's like, oh, that's awful. This is your home. (laughs) How could anyone not want to be on Earth? It's so wonderful. Yeah, so I guess she's also maybe a bit playing along there. Yeah. Yeah. He's Mr. Universe. I mean, there are a a few bits, probably as much for the sake of storytelling, where they do come across as if they've been on Earth like 10 years rather than 5,000. Yeah. And surely, given they are defending the whole planet, they can't have just been staying within a kilometre or so of that one beach in North America. Surrounded by a fence. Surrounded by a fence, yeah. Is that a gem technology that leaked out? They put that chicken wire fence there 5,000 years ago and ancient fence builders saw it. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. I also got the idea it was Rose that added the please to the stay off the beach sign. I think it was Rose who added that. I could see it. Mm. Yeah, I guess they just didn't want people to climb it like like Greg did. Yeah, (sighs) that's probably how some of the other humans got there because there's a fence and a sign, but they haven't gone to too great a lengths to keep people out. Yeah, it's not like it's electrified or anything. Yeah, it doesn't even have, well, it's not even particularly high. And at the top, it doesn't have spikes or barbed wire or, or even even just netting to befuddle someone trying to climb up. Yeah, and Greg did not seem like he was necessarily the athletic type and he was able to do that just very easily. Mm-hmm. 
Pearl's probably just confused, but how, how did they get past this? There's, there's a sign telling them not to. Right. Yes. Yeah. Historically, she does have that issue, doesn't she? Put up police tape thinking it would keep humans out. <laughs> Might as well just put up a neon sign saying free watermelons. I mean, I don't so. doubt there's also a whole bunch of fanfic dealing with this era of Steven Universe world of Big City. Yeah. And it's probably also attempting to show a bunch of young, younger versions and or parents or grandparents of the modern day characters. Right. Another previous generation. I guess, you know, Mayor Dewey would have been Greg's age. Yeah. Around. yeah. Like early 20s kid just getting started, probably trying to get elected mayor of his college. <laughs> or it's that irony thing that he thought his dad being in politics was so uncool. You never catch me doing anything like that. I, I live for the moment, man. Who knows? We have not gotten to see a flashback for him yet. So, yeah, big sideburns in the past. I really like Amethyst's hairdo was really super cute. And oh, I, I loved it. it. When she was crawling around on the ground and crawled through Greg's hair and said that she really liked his hair. And it made a lot of people say, like, maybe that's why the next time she reformed, she stole it from him. <laughs> she has very similar hair. Yeah, there are similarities. I've noted those before. So, But I yeah. do love her shorter hairdo. It's really cute. It just makes me wonder how canonical is that older picture of when Garnet was punching the shark in the old-timey picture. And she had long hair. Oh, so. She could get it. It's a good few hundred years. So, you know, she can get long yeah. and short and long again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some people were kind of, I guess, interpreting this as being longer ago than it was or uh, suggesting that Amethyst was a little kid and were kind of not paying attention to the fact that she claims to have come out of the kindergarten the same size as she is. Yeah. And she did still fits exactly into the hole. Right. So yeah. well, she's not bigger or smaller during this episode. Yeah. I think if this were in isol if this episode in isolation you could take a lot of cues about the gems being younger than they are, but in the face of all the things measuring hundreds and thousands of years, you just right. have to go with well, they go through phases. Yeah. And she has no reason not to look like that. I mean it doesn't mean anything to her or for her. Yeah. But well, yeah, that's after the end, kind of thinking, yeah, if you saw this and posited that the gems had only been on the Earth a comparatively short time and had just been holed up behind their fence for a few years and not really interacting with humans until Greg really breaks them out of their shells, that would be completely fine based on this episode. It's just based on others. We know it's not how it works. Right. In fact, it kind of fits this episode better than the stuff in the other episodes, to be honest. But I think that's right. also just a bit of storytelling gimmick of, in the past, people look younger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, even the instrumental track when they come in is titled Young Gems. <laughs> and, you know, they are technically younger, even if it's only 20, 30, teen, five years. <laughs> mm -hmm. I guess the, the big thing also is we see Rose Quartz, but she doesn't have a modern version. She just has this version, and this is the one we know. Yeah, and as far as I know, this is the only version of her there's been. I mean, yeah. give or take a t-shirt or a pregnancy. Yes. Seems like that's the standard. And she's in that white dress with the ruffles. Oh, we got to see her feet this time. We got to oh, see yes. 
her little bare feet under there as she glided down. So she just kind of parachuted down almost right in front of him. Oh, she's a bit of a hippie. She's yeah, all that was really cute. Her little gliding. Mm. <laughs> Marty just kind of blowing off. Okay, how big was she? Oh, eight feet tall. Massive hair. I mean, this is suggesting that he has a history of liking very large ladies. <laughs> Yeah, I also wondered if it was a bit of a bait and switch of another kind of how big was she? Mm-hmm. And then he's, he gives a height measurement for that answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Which, well, Greg has a type. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just assume that. <laughs> yeah, she, she's the tall girlfriend meme, 30 whatever <laughs> years too early. Yeah. Uh, Which means we do have at least some passing idea of a height for one of them in actual number terms, even if it's just based on Craig's estimation. Right. Yeah. Seems to be the only time someone has stated outright any heights so far. But just basically, I've all I've always, and I think I've said it before, thought that Garnet, and because Rose is taller, but only so much taller, Garnet is sort uh-huh. of at the edge of human human normal for want of a better word in terms of height you right. think you think she's very tall but not something supernatural is going on to be that tall right just occasionally in your real life you might encounter a woman who has to duck through a doorway and that's her yeah and in fact i used to work with a woman who was that tall and that's kind of how my mind maps onto that sort of thing she was probably pushing two meters this woman in real life so i can see garnet being approximately that size maybe around two meters because that's easy to say that's what i think and (laughs) yeah and rose is and rose is that bit taller again but still in human scale right she's not opal (laughs) yes they're not giants that have to make a particular excessive adjustments to interact with human-sized things. They can come through doors. They can be in houses. They can they can use cups if they ever drink. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of expressing it, I guess. Just the scale isn't off enough that you're like, this is obviously some kind of weird alien. But then you have the pink, the pink hair and stuff like that, <laughs> and shape shifting and appearing out of beams of light. Mm. Amethyst is a, is a little bit coming from the other end because she's the same size as a child most of the time. But that at least is a size that some humans and some human adults are. Mm-hmm. So again, they probably think she's quite short, but not she's not like action figure size. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And then you just have to worry about the fact that she's purple and eating garbage. Which, as we've seen, apparently people in Beach City can just get by with. It's a very progressive town. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Mm. So you seem to be pretty good at picking up on details and stuff. So you probably noticed boxes of promotional t-shirts that were in Greg's van and also being sold where one of them was a box that was similar to the shirt Stephen wears today. Indeed. And I think it's also a safe guess that this is, that Rose's shirt is the one that's in the pocket dimension today. Seems that way. She put it on and it does fit. Yeah, of course, Greg does have a few dozen of those. So it might not be the exact same one, but let's let our heart, hearts be content with the idea because it's so much nicer to think it's the same one. Yeah, this memento. Yeah, that's just funny that it's his old his old band merch. 
that he just dresses his son in. Like I'm thinking back to Lars and the cool kids and Buck is like, where did you get that rad shirt? And he's like, I have no idea where any of my clothes come from. And it's like, now we know. <laughs> yeah, so I was one episode off with my guests about shirt clothes. Exactly. I was giggling a little because I knew this was coming. <laughs> we kind of had two episodes about shirts. Yeah. <laughs> it was really funny. <laughs> I've always liked the... I've always liked the thing about the Mr. Universe shirt and what it means to Rose and Greg, that particular shirt. It was very sweet. Yeah. Mm, it's cute. It's like I've got a pair of sunglasses from a friend of mine who died, and I know that they're just a pair of inexpensive motorcycle sunglasses, but they mean more than that to me. And I can see that being a similar kind of thing in a different way in this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. It's, uh, hmm. I guess we've seen a whole storage shed of stuff that Greg has kept that may have some attachment to her. I wonder if they actually did have a cat <laughs> from that cat carrier that was in there. Maybe Rose was tossing up cat, baby, cat, baby. <laughs> so they just tried it out with Amethyst as that lavender <laughs> cat for a little while. And they're like, nah, baby. <laughs> now he's litter box. Now he's litter box. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So um, one thing that I saw some people talking about, which when this episode came out, this was again one of the ones that they yanked from the first season and put in the second season and aired this after the uh, season finale. So this aired as like 54 or something. Yeah, I think that's right. But I was like, I was really, really blown away by by the opening of this episode, seeing him play and seeing what young Greg looked like and just getting really hungry for more information about the gems and stuff. And then I started to see people having this discussion about how their relationship was this love at first sight kind of thing that's you know talking about how that kind of narrative is damaging in fiction and i really really disagree because nobody called it love at that point i mean except for steven he's like you loved her but nobody he didn't say oh i fell in love with her that moment you know what i mean yeah i mean he gives the cheesy line but well yeah let him have one Yeah, and I've written about this at least once, but it might have been more than once, where just looking at the dynamic from both of them, you have, from Greg's perspective, if you're an artist of any kind and somebody expresses interest in your art and engages with you about your art, it's already like, wow, not just like, oh, I have a fan, but like someone's connecting with me about some a message that I put out into the, into the universe and... Plus, she's the only one who showed up at that point. So, you know, and then we also know that physically she's his type and you go to follow her to give her this shirt to like remember you or whatever. And then you see the incredible things and it makes you, it makes such an impression on you. It's like, it's hard to imagine that not blooming romantically in somebody's head, you know, like finding the whole idea of everything he's been through that day as super romantic it doesn't mean he's fallen in love yeah and it's not literally love at first sight because there as you say there's there's that interaction it's enough of a hook i'd say to be going on with and of course we know how it turned out more or less but right you know i'd file this on the yeah this may not happen in real life but it's close enough to could happen Mm-hmm. Apart from all the magical stuff that I've, and especially, I think we also give it a bit of artistic license because 10 minute show. Sure. That, yeah, it works. 
it works for me. And it's it's supposed to be the start of their relationship, association, whatever. Yeah. This We are certainly not expected to think that as soon as he knelt down before and gave her that cheesy line that they said, okay, and let's make a baby. Right. Yeah. It's not like this was the beginning of a relationship that, you know, from that point on, we always knew we were meant to get be together. It's just how they met. And especially very romantic people would probably be like wanting to follow signs. You know, there's not as much on Rose's side, I guess, for what she might see in Greg, but she clearly enjoyed the music and liked that he had a space gimmick. And, you know, then he takes that care to come find her and brave the fence and be threatened by Garnet and all that stuff to come bring her something for free, you know, to give her something in her size that she could wear, that she did wear. And she clearly has some qualms about his short life and eclipsing all of his wants and needs. But, you know, I mean, that's got to be really attractive for someone to come to your place and serenade you like that, you know? And we're up to their third encounter by this point. So, of course, they've all been quite short, but any either of them could have made the decision at any time to, I'm not going to come back or you don't come back or whatever. Mm-hmm. So even though it's all in the space of one night, there is a progression. Mm-hmm. And Greg's yeah, probably right. young and starry-eyed <laughs> enough to <laughs> sort of get overwhelmed with those those feelings that... And young people, younger people do that. They do. Well, so do Um, older people sometimes, but it's more prevalent in the young. Right. And then there's also the fact he had kind of been thinking about these lingering feelings like, oh, we're on to some other city and we're going to be playing. And I'm still thinking about this woman and hoping that I get to see her again. And then he has this argument with Marty and Marty almost crashes the van and he has this near-death experience, which I guess emboldens him to say, no, I'm not going to do what you say. I'm going to go back and be with her and find out what that is. Like that he had some kind of, he had a rude awakening there that like at any moment his life could change direction in a way he doesn't want it to and he's going to seize it. So, I mean, anybody probably, anybody properly curious who met those those gems would be like, I kind of want to see what's going on back there, you know? But on top of that, if you're attracted to one of them and she's wants to play with you and thinks you're cute, you know, <laughs> like that's, that's something that's important. And it being the all loving Rose and her love for all people and things is very genuine. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it, I don't think that it would have to be a supernatural thing, and we're in a supernatural world anyway, for Greg mm-hmm. to have picked up on that on some level. Mm-hmm. So right. I don't think this is a I think this is a fantasy, a romantic fantasy, sure, but I don't think it's harmful love at first sight thing. Right. I mean, especially since we don't get part two at this point, we don't know what they did from there. It's not like they got a place together and bought a dog and, you know, <laughs> started planning their, their wedding. And also, um, because, we're also kind of dealing with a foregone conclusion because we know it works out for them. Yeah. So no matter how they presented the past, it would have been with the, we know this worked we know whether it was a slow build or an instant thing that that it worked and because you're kind of telling the story in the opposite order you 
it's not it's not even even if it were love at first sight it's not even saying love at first sight works it's saying love at first it would be saying love at first sight worked for this union we know has already prevailed yeah and even though like i mean as you said there's no indication that this is an unreliable narrator situation but it is ostensibly i mean it's allowed to be shown to us in this format because it is greg telling steven what happened so this could also be the version of it that he wants to show to it to his immature son so it seems pretty plausible though there's nothing about it that makes it feel like oh he's editing out some parts <laughs> I mean, especially like that exchange that he has with Marty about like, you want one huge woman when you could have multiple smaller ones. And he's like, ugh, Marty, women are people. <laughs> and Marty's kind of like, it's an interesting theory. Yeah, just very, very basic, basic feminism there. Women are people. <laughs> you don't say, Greg. <laughs> yeah, well, so, I mean, it's certainly left to the older viewers to guess what Marty and Vidalia are up to in the back of the van while the concert was going on. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they did have all of their clothes on. True. But we do hear from Marty afterwards that Vidalia and her friends were wild and crazy. Yeah, he's definitely, they're definitely alluding to the trope of the rock band, or in this case, rock star groupie. Yeah. And the people in the right place getting... Ugh, their share of action with them, for want of a better word. Yeah. Mm. I remember seeing some argument from some fans about, like, what Rose might have meant about, I really, you're awfully cute and I really want to play with you. Like, most people were like, wow, that sounds like she thinks humans are just weird toys. But there were some people, like, for a time, myself included, I was thinking, like, does she mean, like, play music? <laughs> but... You know, I think ultimately I ended up looking at that like, nah, she's just talking about playing with him. Like, this will be fun. <laughs> we'll play. But it's a weird line, isn't it? Yeah, it's a weird line no matter what you assume she means. Right. Mm -hmm. but the way that she was saying it, sort of like, this is the responsible thing to say. You know, I, but you have dreams. Your life is short. I don't want you to give up on everything you want makes me think like she's probably been at least made to feel guilty before about like eclipsing some poor short-lived human's life and not caring about them having their own life trajectories that she is derailing. Yeah, uh, she may have unintentionally had like a 50-year fling with some human that yeah. completely took them out of any hopes, career, life progression, family they would have done. And later she's going, oh, right, they, they, they're gone too quickly. Better control yeah. myself. Yeah, she played with this one and she played with that one. <laughs> yeah, we also, yeah. and they've managed to keep themselves re reasonably clear of this trope but often when you've got long long-lived characters they start having loads of references to doing things for abnormally long times like at one point i think it was in doctor who someone said that someone who was a good couple thousand years old said that they'd briefly done something and briefly for them was 90 years mm. so we haven't done that with these characters yet we actually have had fairly sparing references to them even being that old yeah yeah so we don't know if they have that whole oops, I blinked and 50 years passed thing. Or if they do sort of experience time at a normal subjective rate, it just for a lot longer. It's mm, a good question. 
I mean, there's a whole bunch of science about how that works with humans, let alone long-lived gem beings. Yeah. It's kind of like why your first day on a new job seems to go for ages and ages, much longer than the one day before it, because it yeah. represents the entirety of your time at that job at that point. Yeah, definitely a situation of relativity. <laughs> yeah, so it could be that maybe things seem to just whip past when they're just hanging out on the beach somewhere, but when they have to get involved and interact and raise children, it's sort of they get into things at a more normal pace. I think at least based on what we've seen, Stephen would have the, the power to make their lives much more dynamic. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly previously, if they've been able to take a good couple of years off between monsters, now they can't take a couple of hours off between Stephen getting into trouble. <laughs> Definitely. Hmm. So let's see. Hmm. I do like that they ended it by saying that it was a really bad time with this manager, but that something good came out of it. I like like when they acknowledge that sometimes your life can take a turn that you don't expect, but it still leads to something that ends up being good. And I appreciate the complexity of that because that is most people who, you know, end up doing something that they don't expect to or something that they hate leads to something good later instead of kind of doing the whole it was always destined to be this way kind of thing it really feels like he made a choice yeah although i do love the casual way he just says oh he's dead to me yes yes he's dead to me (laughs) just this smile on his face that would that's a really good delivery i love his delivery (laughs) oh but on Mm. the other hand a photo of him you've not only still got it it's near the top of all your crap so yeah, he had his drink on it, and it stuck to the bottom of his drink. Like, really how did he get there? Using it as a coaster ever since. Yeah, surprised it's still intact. But then he puts it up on his like van wall next to the cat fingers picture and the Rose and Greg picture. Well, I like that he could, even though he doesn't slash didn't like Marty, he's remembering the good it did rather than all the nasty times. And I think telling Stephen the story was. Well, they all but say this in the episode, telling the story is what made him come around on that, realizing as he revisited that part of his life, what the different people in it meant. Agreed. Yep. The version of the story that includes Marty is a good one, worth telling and worth experiencing. Mm -hmm. Follow-up questions! I could make that a probing question. Oh, yes. For you. Mm -hmm. How about if we were to have another straight up, like, honest to goodness flashback episode like this, what would you want them to cover next and kind of deep dive into in the past? So a question. Some, some things I'm curious about, but are po- possibly just best left in story terms as things we know rather than things we've shown. Ah. Um, I, I don't think we need to see every stage of the big gem wars that led to our gems being on mm. Earth. I think we can take, mm. take a lot of that as rep. And in some ways, it's better if we've only got bits. I see. So... See, I kind of don't want to see the decision to make Stephen and therefore Rose dies. I think that would just be too tragic to put on screen. Ah, so we don't want that moment. Yeah, I don't think even the mixed mood of this show could entirely stand up to let's have a baby it means i'm going to die i would agree with you on that i'm just wondering if you're going to say something we will invent will eventually get or if you're going to say something that everyone else also wants (laughs) yeah i'm just wondering because there obviously are a lot of events some of which of course i don't even know about yet right (sighs) Hmm. 
I think maybe maybe what leads us to the current domestic arrangements, because I still think there's something there worth telling. Uh-huh. Like, why doesn't Stephen, I mean, I was listening back to one a while ago, we've talked about it before, that it's probably that Stephen being a gem is better suited to living with three gem people, but we haven't actually said that. We've arrived in, in the story when that's already been in place for years. Mm-hmm. So maybe not his birth per se, but maybe, I don't know, when he's a younger child, a toddler, or was he's, he's only so old. There's only so much of his life to pick from when this could have happened. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, at whichever stage of his life that happened, I think there's potentially enough meat there to tell of that without without it getting without it sort of ruining things as telling some off-screen events might be or oh. there are also some bits and this isn't a Stephen Universe thing per se it happens in loads of shows where there are bits of backstory you don't need to flash back to just because you'd just be seeing exactly what you know and have been told before right and there's not any necessarily any like nuance that you need yeah, I mean, some some little bits of the gem war might be that it's, it's enough to be it's enough to be told, and like what while they're and of course these are clever people they could probably build a story around any of these moments if they if they put their mind to it. Mm-hmm. But stuff like Steve Stephen getting Connie's glow stick a year before sort of there wouldn't be much to show us other than pretty much exactly what we've already seen and heard. So I don't think mm-hmm. you need to do a full flashback about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had kind of a flashback anyway, but I don't think you need the episode that explains how Stephen decided to put a glow stick in the fridge. Right. Whereas I, some other moments like younger Stephen or actually something that could be interesting could be how Beach City came to be around the temple at all. Mm-hmm. Because if the Beach gems City. have been hanging out doing gem things for hundreds or thousands of years, certainly uh. there wasn't a colonized European-American town there in t- the entire time. So someone would, someone would have had to say, this is a good place to put a town. And the gems would have been, hey, someone's building a town right next to our big temple home-based magical place. So well, that would be... <laughs> <laughs> put up a fence we're done so that could be in fact that could be a good supplementary story because it's not necessary to tell it per se because uh-huh. we can guess at it but you can easily i think put a story tell a story around that and make it a good story and not just uh-huh. and then they built a town right so yeah that's it of course there are all there are all sorts i mean you could do all sorts of like settings and kisses with history when you've got five thousand years to play with but a lot of a lot of them aren't particular events that tie into the gems as we currently know them Mm -hmm. like you i mean that they they were around when the roman empire was so there's water right there assuming there was a roman empire well yeah I mean, yeah, I'm basing a, the idea that there might be rough similarities between their world and ours. and That's what I think. They kind of have to be. Yeah, and that Beat City wasn't actually there since the planet was formed or something. Yeah. Watch, there's like this prehistoric version of fish stew pizza. <laughs> Very Flintstones. Uh, yeah, they've got a pizza stone. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, I need to go back to Cat Finger. <laughs> oh, I think some of the ones that I 
would like to see like whole flashback episodes or basically anything that involves characters meeting because I like this Rose and Greg first meeting thing and I would like to see every one of the characters that I know first meeting each other you know (laughs) it'd be cool well yeah I mean we saw the retelling of Pearl and Rose deciding to stay on Earth, at least how... That's Pearl true. wasn't their meeting, but it was a history moment <laughs> for them. Yeah, and we know yeah. they pick up Amethyst later, but at that point, Garnet was nowhere to be seen, so there's a story. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we don't know. Like, I mean, you were saying about the current domestic situation, but like, I would like to know how our Rose, Amethyst, Garnet, and Rose, Amethyst, Garnet, and Pearl, Pearl are like deciding to be roommates, you know, like how are they the ones deciding to have this temple, right? <laughs> yeah, so it'd be interesting to have that. And of course, like I'm coming up with stuff that this episode made me think of at the time. Like, oh, I want an origin episode for this or I want to know what I'm with Lion or something like that. Well, from where we are now, it's comparatively recent arrangement that the four crystal gems weren't just a unit who are always together. But we only, we've, recently learned that amethyst they found and kept her to borrow what they said mm-hmm. and there was the retelling of the conversation between pearl and rose so however garnet got in on things that was obviously not at that point whether it was earlier or later or something we don't know but it's obviously mm-hmm. stages to how this group was formed yeah which has only been recently made explicit for us mm-hmm. it's so many interesting stories which could have possibly just been relatively boring. Like, oh, these two served next to each other on this army and they were assigned to the same room and now they're friends. (laughs) Like, but they're all so different from each other that I'd really like to see kind of how it began because the Rose and Greg version of it was illuminating. I was just seeing them bond over Greg's music and how they interacted so casually with some very connected banter. I don't think we need to see Rose die. I think that's been, I think the way it's been played so far, it should be left up to our own emotions and imaginations exactly how that played out. We certainly have enough story details to get the important points. We don't know literally what happened, the specifics, but I don't think we need to. Mm-hmm. I think it works better without it. I would agree with you because there's a lot of people who said otherwise. They're like, I want to know how specifically Stephen was born. And I want to know if she formed like human baby making organs and whether she actually went through labor or if she just exploded in a pink cloud and then there he was or like were they sharing the gem while she was pregnant or like they want the anatomical details and these are not these are not like dumb questions or anything but personally I was like I don't need to see that (laughs) I'm satisfied they're great for speculation discussion questions I don't think we'd be served any better by having it shown on on screen and in some ways Uh there's only so much of a story there in terms of an actual story I I think there's I don't know if it happens in Steven Universe fandom I know it happens in lots of other ones though that we do occasionally get some fans who essentially want an episode or a chapter or whatever format you're in where the characters sit down and explain continuity points to each other I don't think we need that save that for save that for fan speculation Q&A's ancillary media but 
I don't need the episode where someone sits Stephen down with an anatomical diagram of his mother or something. Well, thank goodness we have a protagonist who doesn't ask follow-up questions. (laughs) And yeah, I also think there are some parts surrounding that which could be too emotionally intense for the level the show has built itself so far. Not that you shouldn't have emotionally intense things in shows or even shows like this, but I think at this point, conversations, like I said before, about we should have a baby and it means it's going, but it means it's going to die. I think that sort of partly real world sad- sadness because it can relate to some real world things, although gems and magic babies are rarely involved. Mm. I think that's that's a level that is outside what the show has set itself. Or not a level. Yeah, they might have to grow into that and do it. Yeah, maybe not a level per se, maybe a style, a delivery, a format, something. Because Mm -hmm. we've seen this show can mess with our emotions. I think that wouldn't be the way it likes to so far. It would be breaking character, if you will. Yeah, that's an interesting observation because I agree with you. Like, I don't think I've ever really conceived this explicitly. But now that you mention it, a lot of the story beats and the emotionally engaging interactions between characters that create an emotional reaction are not like dependent on common tropes like you would expect the you know this show to have an episode like what you're talking about that they're like okay everyone we're at this meeting to decide the tug the heartstrings episode where rose dies and it's got to have this and it's got to have that and we're just here to make people cry whereas like a lot of the ones that do make people cry they don't feel like they were sitting there trying to figure out how to make you sad (laughs) or banking on these are things that make people sad like there's a dead mom in this one that'll that'll bring tears you know (laughs) and it's been a kind of heart tugging that they know they can come back from in time for the next episode where they accidentally sell a magic donut or something. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we went from watching Pearl sobbing in a field, desperately sad about the love for life being gone to discussing the ending of a book and whether one of them liked it. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel that was a that was a mood shift they could do. They got away with that. They handled that. I think if you took it too far, too too raw, there we go, then it would not feel it would not feel right almost putting almost anything else after it. In the emotional overall spectrum the show has made for itself so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we know the show isn't always happy. We've seen characters nearly die and well, we all had emotions over Amethyst coming this this close to dying. And so sad mm. events happen. Sad events are, are talked about. But I think too, too raw on the screen, to hit the audience too hard in real emotions, and you can't go, hey, wacky space rock fun the following week. Right. You would have to maybe ease back into that if you were going to go back. Mm. Yeah, that's true. I see what you mean. I guess, like, as we get to some episodes in the future, I might have to ask you, like, do you feel like they did that at this point? You know, because I I do sometimes feel like they'll have a really heavy episode and then they must have sat there thinking, well, what can we do to follow that? And then they're like, fun land, (laughs) you know? (laughs) But it's, I feel like they understand how to ride emotions in this show. So I agree with you on that. The mood shift, the tone swing, however you want to phrase it, can certainly be done and used well. But 
do it, do it wrong and you throw out the audience or break the show. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people who watch the show for one kind of thing might be frustrated if too much of it is the other kind of thing and there's no middle ground. <laughs> and a lot of episodes have both of those things. They'll be wacky and zany for half of them and then do oh, this. yeah, the maximum capacity. Oh, yeah. Drag us along with the Butler uh, show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of episodes that start very lighthearted and then really just side swipe into like a completely different emotional palette, I guess. Mm-hmm. I am thinking of stuff like Mirror Gem, where he's super excited about summer vacation and at the end he's released an unknown ancient person from a gem who threatens him and his family with waves. Yeah. And a lot of the tragic and emotion is also through a supernatural filter as well. And mm. I think that's part of it. Yeah. Even someone's death is going to be something to do with space magic or, well, all really comes back down to space magic, <laughs> but it's going to be something supernatural and weird that isn't going to happen to the audience. Exactly. Which is probably why they care about putting a bike helmet on Steven when he's riding a bike, but not when he's charging around the highest cliffs and giant woman. Well, exactly that sort of thing, yeah. You know, wear a bike helmet when you ride a goat. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that was that. Yeah. Oh, plenty of music this week. Sure was. I mentioned the Young Gems background thing, but there was a funny little thing where Greg sings a little bit of Space Train to the Cosmos. He's like, one way ticket and I'm ready to ride. And then two legit songs. First one was amazing. Yeah, you also get a bit of the edge of the Ziggy Stardust in character as a space guy vibe. There you go. Pick that up. Pick that right up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The great. music wasn't terribly Bowie per se, but well, at least mm. not very Ziggy Stardusty. But they like yeah. to mix around of things and they rarely mm. have direct analogs. Yeah. The Comet song, it was just called Comet, although some people call it Like a Comet, but that was probably the best Greg song so far. Really, just the images are cinematic and it sounded really good. It's a really rocking song. Mm. It's just, it's captivating. It was for me. And both the sound and the image showed us how much Greg was getting into it. So however disaffected Marty is, Greg is in this for the art. Yeah, some of the lines are very interesting, though. Like some of the ones that were references to him being famous were like, just like, and as my albums fly off of the shelves, handing out autograph pics of myself. <laughs> yeah, I think I let out an old Greg at that point. Right, and he's like writing images of CDs in his mental presentation of his theatrics. But some of it also seemed to be like genuine sort of starry-eyedness <laughs> so it's interesting and then he had this other calmer song called it's called destiny that he sang for rose about yeah, he's got range believing in destiny. he's got range he does so yeah i but i really enjoyed that opening scene like i feel bad for tom sharpling who has to sing for greg because he hates to sing but he did a decent job in this yeah yeah i didn't sit there thinking oh this guy's not a singer yeah it was not like it wasn't like oh wow this singing is wowing me or anything but it was competent i wouldn't turn it off no i listened to this like legit man 
And when I play that song on ukulele, it does not sound very rockin', but I can do it. <laughs> and it would, and we said before, it would be very easy to visit the idea that Greg is an awful musician, and then they avoided that. Yes. No, you're right. I like that he is. He's presented by the narrative as being good at what he does. He just hasn't found success yet. And that happens to a lot of people. There are many good musicians, artists, creators of all kinds who are really, really good, but through one thing or another, occasionally even choice, they don't become successful. That's right. And I mean, if you have a manager like Marty, who apparently thinks it's a great idea to set up a concert on the beach and then nobody freaking comes, like, (laughs) how are you going to get in front of people? Yeah, okay. Marty, you must be pretty awful manager if you can't get anyone to show up to a concert on the beach at night because I've seen around people come to any old thing. Oh, sure. I mean, you at least stop and listen to the song going on before you walk down the beach and collect another shell. Maybe you don't visit the merch table, but it's okay. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I do really, really like that song. It's really something. I think that they took the, was it the band name? Like, I think they put, they, they somebody associated with writing music for this was in a band called, I think, Jade. And they made, they put on his guitar, it said Jader. <laughs> ah, I saw that. I wondered what that was a reference to. That was like a close up on his guitar. I, I think that that might have been part of a song that they wrote and they, they reused the music. And I have like a vague memory of having seen a visual of this band. And, it, you know, by the time we edit this and put this up, if I can find that, I'll definitely include it in the visual version of this podcast. But I'm being a bad fan right now because I don't remember which person it was, which creator it was. Well, there's a, a Jillian creator, so yeah. some, some of them might sadly drop, drop out of the forebrain for a few minutes. <laughs> to be honest, I don't know if I ever actually knew who it was, and that's why it didn't make it all the way in, but whatever. So mm. we do not, however, have any food, even though we had lots of music. No, you'd think setting think some food in the past to set the mood would be just a thing, but I guess not, maybe because you're not yeah. making any money. Mm. I didn't get to have any food adventures with this, sadly. Oh, well. Also, there are a lot, there are a, a lot of songs, so I guess food had to go by the wayside. Yeah. Yeah. The, the song for Destiny, the, first one, the second one that he played, was very difficult for me to learn on ukulele. I was trying to learn it. The chords are weird. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a musician. It'll but sound it, like I'm not a musician, but doesn't immediately strike me as a ukulele song, so it would have taken some doing, I guess. Yeah, I know that a lot of the songs that I adapt from the show to ukulele do not sound good as ukulele songs, but this especially with the rock undertones of it, it's not made to be a uke song, but it doesn't stop me. Yeah. So the, the description of it, of this in the previews was... Greg tells Stephen the full story of how he met Earthworts. Yep. Imagine reading that would get people super excited. Like, yeah, what? that's what it says in the team. And again, there's only there's not really much of a twist to give away. Maybe right. that Marty exists, but right. I don't think any of us were stunned by the notion that Greg had a manager at some point in the past and right. that the manager happened to fit the above cliche of being kind of a jerk. Yes, and wanting 75% of all the stuff that he 
makes. I think that one's a bit of an aside for people who do understand how managers and agents work because <laughs> I think a lot of the kids in the target audience won't know how much agents are supposed to take from commission or whatever, however else they arrange things. But anyone who's had an agent or has known, well, you don't even have to have an agent to know this. Anyone who's got any experience or knowledge will go, yeah, 75 is kind of steep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the idea of the manager, the handler, the person who's not writing the songs or performing them is taking the great majority of the assets, you know. But I mean, I guess also if you look at stuff like having a mainstream book deal, like if I look at the contract for the book that I wrote, it's like the publisher does get most of it. My agent gets a percentage of what I make, but what I make is a pretty small fraction of what the publisher makes. But, you know, that's how royalties work. And the publishing company provides everything for the physical production of a book and the distribution. So that's what that's about. But it's not my direct employee or anything. (laughs) Yeah. And in this case, they're a separate large entity to you and your agent, which is not the case in Greg's scenario where there's only the two of them. That's right. I bet you Marty makes Greg pay for gas too. Oh, gas, the CD pressing, he's getting the shirt printed. Mm. Yeah, he's probably not using any of his 75% for that because he's a jerk. But it looks like Greg just planted his roots in Beach City at that point and didn't go on to pursue the music career. Yeah, there could be stories beyond that of him doing or trying some music, but we don't know. They may be told another day. Yeah. If only I had known that! This is another factoid I can share. He said that they were on their way to Empire City, which is generally accepted as this is the Steven Universe universe version of New York City. Yeah, I think Um, it's, I don't remember which one, but I think it's another made-up universe's equivalent to New York City as well. mm -hmm. I can't remember which one, but I do remember the... Another time where I made the obvious jump, which is Empire City, because it has the Empire State Building in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it might be might be Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> Grand Theft Auto has a lot of parallel cities, which are yeah, of, which are obvious stand-ins for real ones. And oh no, I think the New York is called Liberty City. So I'm not sure where oh. Empire came from, but you see the sort of theme going on there. Yeah. It seems like a lot of the Steven Universe names of things are are nicknames from the real world because New York is the Empire State and then Delmarva is not a state in the United States, but it's an area that's known like, you know, the Delmarva Peninsula is parts of three states. So it's like a lot of titles that are attached to real places are made the proper name in this show. Yeah, I think there's a, in one version of Transformers, the standard for Washington, D.C. was capital city. And obviously, Washington is, D.C. is the capital city. But in this, it was the actual name of the city as well. Right. Or you could go something like, you know, calling it Metropolis. (laughs) It was funny. There is a Metropolis in real life, and it's not a Metropolis. It must be confusing. (laughs) It's, it's, It's like a fairly small town. It plays on its relation to the Superman city, of course, as tourist attractions, but it is it is not, as far as I know, it might not even count as a city, let alone a metropolis. That's funny. Wow. <laughs> I didn't know about that. I've got a little bit of factoid stuff for you about some behind-the-scenes creator stuff, besides that, I don't think I said the storyboarders yet, Jeff and Joe. 
Oh, um, right. Yep. But we have we have a couple of new voice actors because we had Marty and Vidalia, and they were new characters. So that's kind of cool. But Vidalia's couple of lines are done by Jackie Buscarino, who is one of the producers of the show. So they pull her in and have her do voice acting. Although I think she does voice acting in other places. So multi-talented lady. But what's really funny is Marty is voiced by John Worcester, who is like... You know the guy that does Greg's voice, Tom Sharpling, has a podcast of his own called The Best Show. Uh-huh. John Worcester also works on The Best Show. So like they pulled in his actual like partner for, for cool. his podcast and had him do his terrible manager. <laughs> Which I think is fun. Like, Yeah, it's fun. That, they probably had a bit of chemistry together to play with. Right. Like, I don't really... I've listened to, like, one episode of The Best Show, and I don't really know what their dynamic is in their podcast. But I do know Rebecca Sugar listened to The Best Show for such a long time, just as an inspiration, and wanted Tom Sharpling to be her Greg. And it's not that surprising that they would also pitch a role like this for someone with an old time relationship with the character Greg to be somebody that actually has a relationship with the voice actor. It and she would have had this built in relationship, you know, to be able to talk to somebody through I guess through him. So that's pretty fun. I like that little factoid. Yeah. Like that Will too. you come be this absolute dick on my show? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I love that. I can't think of anything else. Oh, wait, I just thought of something else. Amethyst as an owl, they referred to her as Owlmethyst. <laughs> okay, that's cute. In like the storyboards. <laughs> it was like, you know, character sheet to show what she looks like as an owl and it says Owlmethyst. <laughs> that's the label. I love that so much. Owlmethyst is so funny. Yeah, I wonder oh. if she was going to out herself right away in that scene or if she'd just yeah. sort of be an owl and then not be revealed until he revisited or something but i like what i like what they did it fits amethyst just to not even mess around with that right just well he's speaking to me so i'm gonna speak back yeah. well you've got a bit of a thrill of let's make this guy think i'm a talking owl for a few moments right. and then he, then she's like well you know i could tell you but then i'd have to kill you ah, <laughs> cute it's very interesting to think Greg just walks up to this fence and figures, oh, I'll just pitch this question to that peculiarly colored owl up there, you know, assuming she won't talk back. <sighs> but it is fun to think about amethysts just taking the shape of local wildlife and hanging out, pretending to be that thing just for fun. <laughs> it's cute. Brand spanking new mint inbox. I think all I've got left for you is merchandise. Merchandise, I was about to say, yeah. You know what it is? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> Here's my Mr. Universe shirt. Whoa! <laughs> I could have been extremely extra and put on like a rose quartz dress underneath this, but it's just my jeans. So this is obviously not the extra, extra large Mr. Universe shirt. It's a small, but... <laughs> because it would be a tent <laughs> for you, Ivy. <laughs> One of my friends has one that's at least extra large. And everyone's not all aware of them at the same time and be like, oh, we're twins. So, but. And what Ivy did, viewers, just because this is kind of cool, so you get to share it, is we recorded this in a previous episode in a block. And you would have heard that she's showing off the Guitar Dad t-shirt in the previous one. And between episodes, I stepped away from the camera and the mic for a bit. 
and Ivy subtly ch- changed shirts while I was out of the room without telling me. <laughs> Just, um, and keeps actually, all the lo- I didn't. I still was wearing it when you came back, and I took it off while you were busy watching this episode. <laughs> ah. So we have a visual representation of this. Like, even though we don't release it, we have video. And if you want to watch me strip, Daria, you can. <laughs> You can back up the video and watch. Now, I was just like, okay, if I move too much, she'll see that I'm doing it. But eventually she's going to notice that my shirt is black now. Yes. <laughs> the logo was below camera. So I didn't, yeah. hadn't confirmed, but I was, I, was, no, I, I remember it was the off-white before and now it's the black. And yep. I, I did notice a black collar peeping below. Oh, yeah. Well, I do frequently wear a couple of layers just because I get cold easily, but most of the time, if you see me doing that, it's probably some kind of shenanigans I'm up to. <laughs> yeah, it's showmanship. So, yeah, I figured that would be better than just like changing clothes sometime on camera. But. Yep, there's guitar there, the original layer. Yeah, I thought it was fun that I had a shirt day. Two shirts in a row. That's yeah, fun. I like it, and I like the. I thought it was a cool idea the way you did it. Do it sneaky while I got my eyes off the camera. Yeah, I do have some funny pictures of me wearing this shirt with like a rose quartz dress underneath it and walking around with my stuffed lion. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm Rose. <laughs> I'm an extremely tiny Rose. <laughs> oh, I'm definitely not two meters tall or eight feet tall. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm taller than you, but I'm not two meters tall. No, and my hair is not particularly big or pink. No. It's long. Yeah, there's <laughs> a lot of it, so you've got something to work with. Yeah, I just don't think I could hide multiple people inside of my hair. <laughs> I just think it would be really funny if, if Rose tried to go on a date with Greg and, you know, they start to get a little romantic and then Pearl comes out of one of those tube curls and says, like, what are you doing? <laughs> She's been hiding in there the whole time. <laughs> they could probably do that undetected. Well, if, because... if she went with Amethyst to a buffet, she, Amethyst would probably try to hide food to take home in Rose's hair. Oh, yeah. Mm, could do that. Or she could just become a kangaroo and stuff a bunch of stuff in her pouch. Mm. I think that would make more of a scene, though. Mm. And shoving it into Rose's hair. It's very tubular. It's just, it's it's so well-defined into these giant curls that are, like, uh, big enough to stick your head in. I always think <laughs> that artists have gone to great love with doing the curl ringlet. I mean, they're technically yeah. ringlet, but calling them any kind of let sounds makes them sound small. <laughs> they're definitely not. Ring loaves. <laughs> they look like one of those those backyard tickle courses where you crawl through the army tunnel. <laughs> Of those, I think I've seen people cosplay as Rose and they use like pool fun noodles for the hair <laughs> because you just can't get the curls big enough if you use real hair. I think I actually also saw somebody, they were doing like a drag version of Rose and they said it was like eight wigs that they had to sew together to get that much hair on. Yeah, Rose's hair is definitely drag fodder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've definitely seen a drag Rose, yeah. a mean, drag it- Rose drag. Huge, huge pink hair. It's going to oh, happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the drag rose I saw had a glitter beard as well, a pink glitter beard. It was really, <laughs> it was really great. Yeah, that's some glamour, I tell you what. And Rose has these really interesting, like, pink lips. She has 
like a lipstick look on her face. Yeah, very glossing. Yeah, glossy. They're glossy. So, mm. but Greg does not wear stage makeup. It's too bad. <laughs> that's, that's a cliche they avoid. It would have been again possibly tempting to put him in kiss parody makeup. Right. I guess the farthest they went into that was just giving him some piercings. Yeah. And the ripped up sleeves, which my Mr. Universe shirt is no rips. Oh, it's intact. But he, I think he had ripped pants too, if I'm not mistaken. And big fluffy hair. <laughs> That's all I've got for you. So anything else we should talk about with the story for Steven? No, I think we've just about covered. We've dived pretty deep on this and there's a lot to dive into. Yeah, I was hoping this one would be a nice deep discussion because this is this is one of my uh, this is one of my highlights of the first season. So even though I saw it as part of the second season, it's a first season episode. Got transplanted. <laughs> so well, it would have been easy to drop this out of the ongoing plot because almost all of it takes place in the past. Yeah, there's no indication that this rainy night in the van happened at any particular time in the timeline either. So, so I guess we will reconvene for the next episode, which you don't know the title for it yet, do you? I do not. Should I reveal it? Yeah, what is 49? The message. Oh, that sounds ominous. Oh, yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> so we'll find out as we get to the last four episodes of season one. And we're going to have a fun ride. Mm. Yay! <laughs> They, they, must, they must be going to jump back into the plot soon. They'd be running out of space not to. Either that or it's just a fortune cookie and he and Connie have Chinese food. <laughs> it's an answer phone message or something. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's, that's all. That's a wrap. <laughs> all right. Thanks for joining us, everyone. See you all next time. You've been listening to Ivy and Daria on Not So Giant Women. You can find episodes of the show in video form by looking up Not So Giant Women on YouTube or in audio form at anchor.fm slash not so giant women or your podcatcher of choice. You can also find us on Facebook. Audio production by Daria. Video production and music by Ivy. Daria can also be heard on Postploitation, the Ausploitation podcast. And Ivy at her Steven Universe fan blog at love-takes-work.tumblr.com. Steven Universe was created by Rebecca Sugar and remains property of Cartoon Network. No infringement is intended.